Look, look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder where, uh, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one being, or no human being can tame the tongue. It is a relentless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or an olive vine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Today I want to talk about taming the tongue. And before you jump in your mind and do what a lot of us do, going, hey, so-and-so needs to hear this sermon. I want to go over James 3, verse 2 again. Look what it says. For we, are, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. In other words, unless you are perfect this morning, you need to hear this sermon. You need to hear this passage. James 1.26 actually says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I mean, that's, that's some powerful words right there by, by James. He's saying if you, if you go to church, you go to Bible study, you know your theology really well, you feed the homeless, you give money, you sing Sunday mornings loudly, even on key, but you don't control your speech, it's all worthless. It's all worthless. Why is it worthless? Well, I want to look at that today. Look at James chapter 3, verse 1. For not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Scripture is clear that teachers will be judged with a greater strictness. Why? Well, simply, we talk a lot. We open our mouths and we use words to influence people. This is not to discourage you to, to teach. We're all called to teach at some level. right? I mean, if you're a parent, you're called to teach your children, as Mike talked about earlier, if you're, if you're a part of the church, the Great Commission tells us that we're to make disciples, which the Greek word means learners. We're called to disciple. We're called to teach. Teaching them, it says in the Great Commission. We're all called to teach in some level. James 3.1 is just a warning, especially to those who have the role of teaching within the church. All right, 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Do your best or strive or work hard at. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And the implication of that, and I want to be clear, because a lot of Christians I don't think realize there is a wrong way of handling God's word. We are called to rightly, as teachers, handle the word of truth. But I want to be clear, this passage is not about teaching. Teaching actually is just introducing the real topic. And the real topic is just the power of words. The power of words. 
Look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. It's an amazing sentence there. This is less about teaching and, and more about controlling our words. So this applies to everyone. And today I want to look at four powers the tongue has. Four powers the tongue has. The tongue has a power to direct. The, the, the tongue has a power to destroy. The tongue has the power to be uncontrolled. And the tongue has the power to cause hypocrisy. Right? The power to direct, the power to destroy, the power to be uncontrolled, and the power to cause hypocrisy. So let's look at the, t- the power of the tongue to direct. Verse 2 again, it says, For, for, all, uh, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to, to bridle his whole body. In other words, the tongue has amazing power to direct and control. The whole body, it says. You know what that means? It means you. Amazing power to direct and control you. The implication is this. If you control your mouth, what you say, you control yourself. And there's two powerful in, um, uh, illustrations that James uses uh, to, to get this point across. The first illustration is found in verse 3. Look at what verse 3 says. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. I'm always amazed. I mean, we live in Tatchby, so there's horses everywhere. But I'm always amazed when I walk up to a horse and just, and just look how big they truly are. You don't see it as well as you're driving past it, but there's horses like on our street and we go walking and Autumn wants to feed them and they come charging the fence. And I get a little nervous every single time because they're huge. Actually, the first time I preached this um, was a few years ago. It was like five years ago. And it was one of the first times me, me growing up in Tatchby, ever went to the rodeo, which is probably amazing within itself. Um, but it's the first time we went to the rodeo, and all I wanted to see, of course, was the bull riding, right? And that's all I can think of was, that's going to be rad, watching these bulls. Um, but you know what was more amazing than the bull riding, to me, was the, the, the bucking horses, the bucking broncos. Like, those horses threw those cowboys so far through the air. I mean, like the power, the crazy power. And the thing that was, was, was so amazing about that is the very next event was the, 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 the barrel racing. Where these little, like, teenage girls are on these massive horses and controlling them and turning them on, like, a dime, right? Well, how do these little girls control these massive horses? They use little bits in the horse's mouth point of the illustration is if you can control the horse's mouth, you can control the whole massive, powerful horse. In a similar way, if you can control your own mouth, you can control you. How is that? Well, the second illustration, I think, gives us more insight. Look at verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're powerful, right? They They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs, right? Again, there's this, this, in this whole entire passage, there's this comparison of large and small, right? Large, large horse, small bit, right? Large ship, powerful ship, small rudder that controls the ship. But, but there's something added in this illustration. Look at, look at what it says. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, 
Here's the point. The, the rudder doesn't direct the ship. Right? The pilot directs the ship. And the same with the horse. Right, The bit doesn't direct the horse. It's the rider that directs the bit that directs the horse. And it's the same with your mouth. Right? The mouth doesn't really direct the man. It's the heart that directs the mouth that directs the man. Your heart directs you. I mean, Scripture throughout says that the heart is the real you. It's what controls you. My professor, a counseling professor, says it's the, it's the mission control center of you, the heart. And James is saying here that the, the heart and the mouth are intimately connected. They're closely connected. They're deeply connected. What comes out of the mouth was first in the heart, in other words. What comes out of the mouth, mouth starts in the heart. And the truth is, the mouth, all it does is it exposes what's in the heart. It's like the, the tattleteller of the heart. I have a four-year-old, so the tattleteller of the heart. It's like the informer of the heart. What's going on in the heart, it comes out through the mouth. If you have a tongue problem, what you really have is a, a, a heart problem. A heart problem. And this is why James talks about the tongue. Right after he says, faith without works is dead. There's nowhere in the relationship of faith and works that there's more evident than, than in the, the, than a person's speech. So where are you today? This is, this is a challenge this morning. What comes out of your mouth? Is it uplifting? Is it God-honoring? Is it others-loving? Because whatever comes out, it's what's inside of you first. But here's an interesting and amazing implication of this. Since the tongue has such power to direct and control, and it's so deeply connected to the heart, I think there's a great application that that James is trying to get across. If you can control your mouth, you can influence your heart, which is what controls you. Let me say that again. If you can control your mouth, it's going to influence your heart, which is what controls you. Right? It's an argument from the greater to, to the lesser. I mean, think about this. If the hardest member in your body to control is your mouth, why is it the hardest member? Because of two reasons. One, it always has an opportunity to sin. It always has an opportunity. You just have to open your mouth and you can sin. Right? And second, you can sin instantaneously. Before you even think, words come out of your mouth that are ugly. So it's the hardest member to control. So if you can control the hardest member, the rest of you is easy. Let me give you some examples. I think this becomes very practical. I really wanted to, to preach a practical sermon this morning. Right? For us that are, that are striving in our sanctification to be more like Christ, right? control your words. Think about this. If you struggle with being ungrateful, and, and there's going to be some self-examination here. You need to look in your heart. Do you struggle with being ungrateful? And, and if you have trouble examining your own heart, ask those that are close to you to be honest with you. If you struggle with being ungrateful... Work on speaking about the things you're grateful for. Like purposely, day to day, go, I'm going to talk about this in my conversations. And you'll be more grateful. It'll influence your heart. Do you struggle with depression or self-pity? Work on speaking positively. Right? It'll help. It'll help. Talk about the things you're grateful for. Right? And that may sound too sim- simplistic. I'd try it. Try it. Do you struggle with being critical or judgmental? Speak encouraging words to others. Like, like I said, purposefully 
think, how can I speak encouraging words today? Right, to my kids, to my wife, to my friends, to those within the church. I'm, I'm going to say something encouraging. What can I say? And do it. Do you struggle with fear of man issues? Are you afraid of what people think of you? Speak truth boldly. If you know someone that needs to hear the truth, go tell them. Purposely share the gospel with your neighbors. Go speak boldly. Do you struggle with always dwelling on the negative? Right? Speak positively. Think the best of people that are around you, your family members, and then put it into words. Do you struggle with lying? Tell the truth. In the middle of a lie, stop and tell the truth. And, in, and that's even like exaggeration. If you, if you struggle with exaggerating stories and it's not really how, and that's a, kind of, that's a lie. In the middle of telling that story, stop and go, hey, you know what, that's not exactly how it went, and tell the truth. My counseling professor would, would say this over and over again. When is a liar not a liar anymore? It's not when he stops lying. It's when he starts speaking the truth. Do you struggle with anger? Purposely speak kindly and gentle to those you love and those that are around you, right, at your work. Say, I'm going to speak kindly and gently and, and put it into action. Do you struggle with pride? Compliment others. Don't speak sarcastically or meanly about them in front of their face or behind their backs. Don't speak about yourself. How about that? Ask them questions. Give them compliments. Psalms 141 verse 3 says, Set a guard. This is, this is a man praying to the Lord, crying out to the Lord. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponder how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked just pours out evil things. Right? The heart of the righteous, in other words, thinks before they speak. And they don't say much. You see that con- continuously through the Proverbs. That they don't talk that much, the righteous. But, but the, the mouth of the wicked, they just pour out speech. And they don't think about it. They just talk. Be careful on what you say because the heart also has the power to destroy. Or the mouth also has the power to destroy. The mouth also has the power to destroy. Look at verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How a great force is set ablaze by such a small fire. Right, again, here's that, that small, large um, illustration back and forth. Small, large, small, big horse, uh, small bit, big ship, small brother, uh, a big fire, small spark, right? The tongue is a small, but it has great power. A spark is small, but can cause massive destruction. Right, we know this. We're Californians. Right? One, one cigarette, one campfire, one spark from a chain, massive destruction. I mean, we just seen this recently. You know, I heard those fires, I don't know if this is true or not, and so if a fireman can tell me, I heard the fires were moving a, a football field a second at one point. Just destruction. You know what's funny was when we were in, in Indonesia, you were driving down the street, and, and it's just common practice in Indonesia to burn your trash at the end of your, like, your driveway. So there's all these little fires all over the place in Indonesia. And I'm like, that would never happen in California. And I had an Indonesian that spoke really good English with me. 
And he's like, well, why wouldn't you just burn your, you know, fire? Like, why wouldn't you do that? And I said, this whole mountain would be on fire. And he just looked at me weird, like, how is that possible? Like, how could a whole mountain be on fire? It's just, it rains there every other day, so it's so green. They've never seen fires like that. Right? But Israel, and, and James is talking to the church in, in Jerusalem, has a similar climate to California, actually. So, so this illustration made sense to them. Right? The first two illustrations was, was talking about the controlling nature of the tongue, but this illustration is talking about the destructive power of words. The destructive power of words. Look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. Astonishing power to destroy. Right? Fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. The whole body is stained, like the whole person, stained by the mouth. Right? If the fire doesn't get you, the smoke will, right? And smoke stains. I remember when we were buying our first house, uh, we were looking uh, for a few different houses. We were actually in escrow on a house that was kind of a flip, and they redid the house, and it was, it was a really nice house. Um, when we first looked at it, uh, we were excited about it. We came back about 25 days later, almost the end of escrow. And we went into the house, and the whole thing smelled like smoke. Like, like the smoke seeped through the fresh paint that they just put on. It just took time. Like the tongue stains like that. Let me give you an example. If you, if you, if you use your tongue judgmentally, you're going to be stained as judgmental. Like a stain will be hard to get off. Or, or if you're a liar... If you use the tongue to lie, you'll be stained as a liar. That's the whole, the boy cries wolf, right? He's stained as a liar. And it's hard to get that stain off. Look what he says, though, in James. It goes further than that. It says, setting on fire the entire course of life. Really, James? That's that's a lot, right? That's that's hyperbolic language or something. Listen to what he says. The tongue sets on fire the entire course of life. Of life. I mean, talk about power. Right? The tongue destroys other. The, the tongue's, tongue stains the entire person, but it also destroys the entire course of life. Everything. If you are judgmental, slanderous, gossiper, critical, unloving, negative, nagging, crude, a liar... You'll destroy relationships, marriages, individuals' lives, families, schools, churches, communities. The entire course of life will be destroyed. It will be destruction. Like a fire that just wipes everything out. But James doesn't stop there. He even goes one step forward. Look what he says. And set on fire by hell. Hell, James is saying that, that Satan uses careless speech. He uses careless words. And I want to be clear on this, because we give Satan and the demons way too much credit. The speech comes from you. The speech comes from within. It doesn't come from Satan. It doesn't come from demons. It comes from the heart. James is making this clear. But your speech that comes from the heart is used by Satan to destroy. It's used by Satan to destroy. The tongue is powerful. It is powerful to destroy. I mean, I'm sure we all can think of examples. Churches that split for careless words. Small groups, maybe, that split over careless words. Marriages that are destroyed. 
relationships, careers destroyed. But there's a positive side to this, and, and James really is, is, is hitting on the then warning on the negative side of, of speaking or talking, but, but there's also a positive side to this. The tongue is powerful, and it has amazing, powerful, positive powers. Right? It has amazing positive powers, power to build up, right? power to en- encourage, I've told this story before, but um, I think it fits as well. Uh, I, I grew up, I was not a good student in my whole entire life. I struggled in school um, and barely kept a 2.0 just to play basketball. And the only reason I went to college was because I, I got offered to play basketball. And so I kind of kept that 2.0, like, and, and that's all I thought. I never would have gone to college if it wasn't for basketball. And about halfway through my bachelor's degree, I took an ethics class. And um, it was more kind of an abstract philosophical class. And, and I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed arguing. So um, I, I liked that class. And I remember the teacher, uh, there was a student that missed a few classes and, and came to the teacher and asked the teacher what he needed to do and the teacher said hey you should ask one of the smarter kids in the class for notes um and he named three kids and I was one of them I didn't have any notes but (laughs) but I'll tell you what the power I mean that teacher wasn't even trying to compliment me I mean he just he just said that the power of those words you can look at my transcripts 2.0 all the way up to that class I I never got anything less than an A from that point on it just was powerful, right? Power ha- the power the tongue has to encourage others. We can use it every day. We encourage others every day. The power to direct and teach others. The power to save. I mean, think about that. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's the good news. That's news that is proclaimed. I am not ashamed of it. Why? For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Acts 2, the apostles opened their mouths and spoke. They spoke the gospels and thousands were saved. Acts 10, 34, it says this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, what did he say? He said the gospel to Cornelius and the family and and Gentiles were saved. Amazing positive power. I want you to think, every single one of you that's a Christian this morning has been saved by God through someone's speech or someone's written word. That's power. So the power, the tongue has the power to direct. The tongue has the power to destroy. But the tongue also has the power to be uncontrolled. Right? It's so powerful, in other words, it can't be tamed. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. And that's amazing within itself. I mean go to a zoo. Sometimes I'm just amazed. It's just horses, right? These massive animals around the little barrels. It amazes me. But elephants, lions, killer whales. Man, it's tamed all types of animals. But look at verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a relentless evil full of deadly poison. Tongue's untamable. It's uncontrollable. And, and the first time I went through this passage and was studying this and got to this verse, I'm like, well, what are you talking about, James? How can you spend this whole entire passage saying, we need to control our tongues, you need to control your tongue, and then come to this passage and say, you can't, you can't tame or control your tongue. 
I honestly believe this is where we find the gospel in James. And there's a lot of people that think the gospel message is not in James. I believe it is here because James is saying, you need to control your tongue, and then James says, you can't. You're, you're hopelessly enslaved to sin without the power of Christ. One commentator said this, when, when God transformed us, he gave us the capacity for new, redeemed, holy speech, and he expects us as his children to speak only that uh, which is holy and right. right. Through the power of Christ, in other words, we have the, the capability now to control the tongue. James says the tongue is a, a relentless evil, full of deadly poison. We have the power in Christ now to stop that poison. Actually, keep your finger on James 3. And we're going to go right back to it, but I want you to see this. If you would, turn to Isaiah 6, chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. A lot of us are familiar with this passage, and we've actually... Um, we come to, I come to this passage a lot just because it's, it's such an amazing passage. Let me give you some context of what's going on here in Isaiah 6. Right, God is revealing himself to Isaiah in the temple. Right? Isaiah has this vision of God, and he sees God on the throne in his, in his glory and his holiness. And this is where the robe fills the temple. Right? And the angels are, are flying around singing, holy, holy, holy. Right? God in his full glory and holiness. And what's Isaiah's reaction? Is the reaction of every man when they see the holiness and glory of God. Look at verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. My translation for lost is I am ruined, or I am undone. Or it means really literally unraveled. In other words, there's no argument, no justification, no defense. In this one moment, Isaiah's self-esteem, self-righteousness was shattered. He's naked and exposed before the righteous judge. And he's found guilty. Why? Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Is that interesting? Not thoughts. Not actions, not flesh, not eyes, not deeds, lips. Why lips? Well, because what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. The mouth exposes the heart, and Isaiah is saying, I am a man with an unclean heart. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In other words, I am doomed. Look at verse 6. And one of the seraphim, which are the angels that were flying around, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. Right? The burning lips, in other words, symbolize Isaiah's sins being paid for, atoned for. Right? And this is a vivid symbol. Think about that. Right? One of the most, most sensitive spots on your body is your lips. To take a burning coal and put it on your lips. How painful that would be. The smoke you could see. The, the smell of burnt flesh. You know what this analogy is saying? Mercy's not cheap. Right. Forgiveness is not cheap. The burning of lips pointed to the, the, the atonement of sins. It pointed to the suffering servant that's talked about later in Isaiah. The one who will be crushed because of the sins of many. 
It pointed to Jesus. Paying for our sins on the cross. But I want you to see what happens, right? So, so this is pointing to the gospel. I mean, this is Isaiah being saved, his sins atoned for. Look at verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Right? In other words, who will go and speak for us, the Trinity? Who will go and use their mouth, their lips for me? Look what Isaiah says. Then I, this is Isaiah, then I said, here I am, send me. I will use my lips. I will use my words. Right? And he went, to, he went to Israel and used his lips. He used his words. He wrote the whole book of Isaiah. This is what I believe James is saying, right? That, that taming the tongue is impossible, but in Christ the impossible is possible. Only through the power of Christ. So turn back to James 3, verse 9. The tongue has the power to direct. The tongue has the power to destroy. The tongue has the power to be uncontrolled. And the tongue has the power to cause hypocrisy. Verse 9. With it, it's still the tongue. That's what we're talking about. And add a to its tongue. With it. We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That makes no sense. How can you claim to love God, then curse his image? It makes no sense. And, and let me be clear, man is made in the image of God. His intellect, his reasoning, his, his moral nature, his emotion, his will, his creativity. But this is especially true for Christians, right? That have been been born again in the likeness of Christ. Christians who who even have God the Holy Spirit living within them. How can you say you love God and then curse Christians, his image? That makes no sense. Makes absolutely no sense. Look at verse 10. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these sayings ought not to be so. It makes no sense. Verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? It can't. Verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or or a grapefruit produce figs? The answer is obviously no, right? It's a rhetorical question. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The same is true. If you claim to be a Christian, but don't control your tongue, you talk badly about others within the church, to their face, behind their back, that makes absolutely no sense. And I want to be very clear on this. It's not a works-based religion, right? Controlling one's tongue is evidence of saving faith. It's evidence of saving faith. It's evidence of a changed heart, right? It doesn't save you. It's evidence of salvation. But James is telling, he's pleading with the church, and I'm pleading with you, and I'm pleading with my own heart. Don't be double-minded. Don't be double-minded. Don't say, I love God, and then behind people's back, curse the image of God. So the tongue is powerful. It's the power to direct, the power to destroy, the power to be uncontrolled, and the power to cause hypocrisy. Therefore, we need to be careful 
what comes out of our mouths, right? And I'll be honest, one of the reasons I picked this passage is because I struggle with this. I struggle with this. I need to be careful what comes out of my mouth. I need to think through these things, right? I need to, I need to practice encouragement with those that I love. And, and so if you struggle with this, there's grace. There's grace. There's grace. But I want to end with some application. I have three application points that I think will be helpful this morning. And the first one, we've already went over, so I won't spend much time on it. It's just, if you control your tongue, you control you. If you control your tongue, you control you. If you struggle with negativity, ungratefulness, uh, contentment, anger, work on how you talk. Speak the opposite of those things, and, and, and you're going to influence your heart. If you control your tongue, you control you. The second application point is this. If you don't control your tongue and claim to be a Christian, you're being a double-minded man. You're being a hypocrite. Matthew 12, 33 says this. Either make the tree good and its fruits good, or make a tree bad and its fruits bad. For there, the tree is known by its fruits. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? This is Jesus. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know where your heart is and your relationship is with the Lord? What's coming out of your mouth? The good person out of his good treasures uh, brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasures brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will, be, will give account for every careless word they speak. That's a scary verse. It, it doesn't say for every evil, perverted, crude word they speak. It says for every careless word they speak. Careless. We need to be intentional with our words, in other words. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Verse 37. I believe this is saying that words are so closely connected to your hearts that God could judge you by them. So whatever comes out of our mouth, it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. The third application point that I want to get across is this. In today's world... It's not just the tongue we need to be careful about. It's also the fingers. In other words, be careful what you post right on the internet. Post on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, text messaging or whatever, right? Emails. You want to talk about stains. Whatever you put online stays online forever. We know that now. Whatever you put online stays online forever. And I, I'm not, I don't want to get political up here, but we don't have good examples our kids aren't watching good examples in leadership of our country on this. Don't wreck your testimony over a political issue. If you can't control what you post online, don't post. I see double-mindedness all over the place on Facebook. You're not just staining yourself. You're staining the church. You're staining the bride of Christ. You're staining Christ himself. 
I have three tests. And if you struggle with this, I have three tests, right? If you should post or not post. You know, the interesting thing, and I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of things. I mean, like I said, I'm preaching to myself. And I want to say this, too. I didn't grab this passage because I think our church, we have one of the most encouraging churches ever. So thank you for that. And keep that up. Please keep encouraging. It makes me feel really good. I love that. Um, so that's not why I, why I picked this passage, and, and I, I really, honestly, I struggle with this, and I wanted to, to study something, challenge myself of this new year as we're going, this new season. Um, but I don't really, I just be honest, I don't struggle with posting stuff. That's not that's not a big struggle of mine because I, I start writing it out and I read it and go, I shouldn't post that. Right? Like it's easier when you speak, it just comes out, right? But so I know people do struggle with this because I see what's online. So here's my my suggestion. If you write something out, here's three things to test it to, to see if you should post it or not. Three three tests, right? The first one's Philippians four eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, uh, if anything is is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, don't think about the opposite. So you shouldn't be posting the opposite, right? Write that down, Philippians 4.8. If you're not sure, go, is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? If it's not, don't post it. Ephesians 4.15, write this one down. Speak truth, right? We're called to speak truth in love. Again, I feel like it comes to politics that we do this the most. You might think it's true. Ask yourself, is it loving? Is it patient? Is it kind? Is it uplifting? Is it not arrogant? Is it not rude? Does it believe the best? Does it hope the best? If it doesn't, don't post it. Please. And the last test is Ephesians 4.29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Is it going to build others up? If it's not... Don't post it. And this is a struggle for our, our culture, right? And if we're going to reach this community, if we're going to reach our relatives, right, they're all watching us. They're all watching us. We need to be careful what we say and what we put on the Internet. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just think about language and, and, and language is just a miracle within itself that I am up here right now just throwing out vibrations and sound waves and, and getting across information from, from my mind to the minds that are listening without even thinking about it. You, you've made our brains so that we grow up and just learn how to do this without much struggle. It's incredible that we can write little symbols on a piece of paper and people can read what we write and we can get information across. And, and you did that so that we can get the gospel message across, that we could talk about you, so that you could tell us first in your word, Lord, who you are and, and what kind of God you are and reveal truth to us. And then there we can take those truths and spread it out to the nations, Lord. Language is amazing, Lord. I pray that you forgive us as we've abused language by hurting others, by saying things we shouldn't say, Lord, by posting things we shouldn't post. 
God, be with us. Be with us as a country, Lord, as we just get more vulgar and vulgar, Lord, as we go farther and farther away from you. But more importantly than that, Lord, we can expect that from non-believers, Lord. Be with the church. Lord, help the church stand out as a light, as something different. We don't jump into these, these debates, Lord, of ugliness. That what comes out of our mouth is truth. We don't shy away from truth and boldness, Lord. But that truth and boldness comes out of a heart of love, Lord, to build others up, not destroy them. God, I pray for us. I pray for our country oaks, Lord, that we are a witness to this community by being people that, that speak loving to each other within the church, Lord, not even the community, to each other. No one's going to want to join our church, Lord, if we're mean to each other, if we're unloving to each other. One of the greatest witnesses to our community is how we interact with each other, Lord. That's why the one and others are in Scripture. Be with us, Lord. Be with our lips. Put a, put a guard, as it says in, in, in Psalms 141, a guard uh, in front of the doors of our lips, Lord. In your son's name, amen.